With great power comes great responsibility. Oh, like the responsibility we have to try and stick to a podcast schedule? <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, it's not my fault. You're the one busy rewatching Scarecrow and Mrs. King for the 200th time. Hey, I have to get ready for the 40th anniversary that's happening later this fall. <laughs> it's deep research. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Well, hey, never fear, listeners, or maybe fear, listeners, because we're, <laughs> we're back, and today we're continuing continuing down our journey of TV movie nostalgia. It's a superhero kind of day today, so look up in the sky for birds, planes, and podcast episodes. So Mike, are you ready to don a cape and fight some bad guys? Please welcome to the stage, don a cape. (laughs) (laughs) But you know what, I think I am ready. Just, you know, hold on, let me take a quick bite of this big Greek sandwich I got. Yeah, I guess you could call it a superhero. Oh, brother, I should have known where that was going. Let's begin. So where you been for the last month? Where have I been? Where have I been? <laughs> Watching Scarecrow and Mrs. King. I think we established that. <laughs> no, I've been watching TV movies on Tubi, of course. Where have you been? Well, I've been around the world and I I, I, I can't find my baby. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I bet some superheroes could find Lisa Stanfield's baby. <laughs> well, it's good to be back after a short little hiatus. Yes, it is good to be back. Welcome to another episode of the Pop Trash Podcast. I'm your host, Eric Griggs. Or at least that's my secret identity. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm Mike Jones, a name that literally could be a secret identity. (laughs) (laughs) Well, whoever we are, each episode we take a pop topic and trash talk it. But with love, of course. And love, well, love remains a drug that's the high and not the pill. (laughs) But did you know that when it snows, my eyes become large and the light that you shine can't be seen? Oh, yikes. Let's not go crazy with the seal lyrics. (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, there aren't many love songs about superheroes. Well, for good reason, probably. But if you haven't figured (laughs) it out yet, today's episode is all about TV movies in the superhero world. Yes. While Marvel and DC movies make all the box office fun these days, back in the 70s and 80s, superheroes were the realm of television. And Gadzooks, Batman, there were a ton of superhero TV movies. It's time to twirl into the episode this week and look at three TV movies that fit into the superhero genre. First up is that classic Wonder Woman. We're going back to 1974 for the first Wonder Woman TV movie. And then just a few years later in 1977, hold on to your web shooters. We're going to look at the amazing Spider-Man. Oh, and then be prepared to get angry and have your clothes just burst off of your body. (laughs) (laughs) Because we'll be talking about me after Thanksgiving dinner. (laughs) We'll be talking, of course, about the Incredible Hulk and the 1988 movie, The Incredible Hulk Returns. Eric, do you have a favorite superhero? I mean, over the years, it's changed. I would probably say Wonder Woman has been there, has always been there for me. Has always been there for you. (laughs) How about you? I think if I had to pick one of like the classics, I'd either go with 
Batman or Spider-Man. Mm, look at us, our, our very pedestrian picks. <laughs> I know. We're not picking like an, a, an obscure X-Men. I'm not as uh, fluent in superhero <laughs> as, as, you know, uh, other 80s and 90s pop culture trivia. So it's hard for me to go deep. Although I will say in the 80s, there was a cartoon version that had a bunch of them. And I do remember Iceman mm-hmm. being cool. And I, well, literally, and I liked him. I thought he was fun. Yeah, that cartoon was the jam. It was Spider-Man and his amazing friends. And it was Spider-Man, Iceman, and Firestar. Do you remember Firestar? Yes. Yeah. I do remember Firestar. That was quite the team. Growing up, I was into comic collecting. I, I read comic books. I love comic books. I was always drawing superheroes. But it dominates now in pop culture, but it always wasn't that way. Some kids were interested, but largely a lot of other kids were like, they had grown out of it or didn't really care. And adults definitely did not care. I mean, some of the shows and movies that we're going to talk about were, were definitely still thought of as like kids' treatments. Were you big into comic books? Uh, no, not really. I was big into Garbage Pail Kids and WWF Wrestling, as it was known back then. Uh, now it's WWE, but I could have watched like, you know, Hulk Hogan and Big John Studd and the Junkyard Dog and like comics just never really did it other than like a, an occasional cartoon. And then maybe around the turn of like the first Batman movie in the late 80s, I was like, okay, this is kind of a fun little universe to play around in. But I never got like deeply involved or collected comic books or action figures or anything like that. Now, the way I engage with superhero stuff is not from a place of nostalgia. It, it didn't mean as much to me as a kid. So I kind of like watch these movies or watch these TV shows or watch these specials or whatever they are and just kind of think like I can just enjoy them for sort of what they are and not really care if they're authentic to the history of anything. One thing I think we've lost with superheroes dominating the multiplex right now and everybody knowing every obscure Marvel character and all the inner workings of the history. I don't know when that switch happened, but I kind of I kind of miss it being a little underground. So many of these tentpole superhero movies today or even tentpole TV franchises now are like trying to appeal to the most possible like biggest mass of audience. And so when a superhero movie or a superhero you know, piece of TV or whatever today doesn't stay authentic to the source material or something like that. I do think fans get really pissed off, like the diehard fans get really pissed off. Whereas, you know, everyone else, I think, is just kind of like, oh, don't know the history, don't really care about the history. But sure, that was either good or bad. So the first TV movie that we're going to take a look at is Warner Brothers ABC TV movie from 1974, Wonder Woman, starring Kathy Lee Crosby. Nope, it wasn't Linda Carter's time yet to shine. This film follows Wonder Woman after she travels to man's world from Paradise Island, very briefly shown in the beginning, where she pursues a villain named Abner Smith, played by Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> <laughs> and what did you think about this, Mike? I thought there was like no action at all. So uh, more blunder and less wonder. <laughs> blunder woman. <laughs> I don't even think Kathy Lee Crosby. Now, really, real quick on her. Is she related to Bing Crosby? 
<laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no. Was she no. in Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young? <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I know she's. Uh, I also know her from That's Incredible. I had no idea she was a former tennis pro, though. I, that's something I learned looking into this. Um, but That's Incredible. I, I I love. They would just find people who could swallow like ten swords or. Mm-hmm you know, breathe fire, jump 10 cars on their motorcycle and be like, that's incredible. Yeah, exactly. Now that would be more interesting than this Wonder Woman TV movie. Oh, come on. (laughs) It's so boring. Not a gosh darn thing happens in the first hour of this movie. Yes. But did you watch the second hour? It gets, you know, it picks up a little bit. (laughs) I wanted to like it because I enjoy you know, what I know of Wonder Woman later in pop culture Mm -hmm. with Linda Carter, the Gal Gadot movies. Mm -hmm. This was more or less a TV movie that was intended to kind of kickstart a franchise, which I guess it eventually does because Linda Carter, you know, takes over and sort of is, is, you know, in a Wonder Woman TV series that's massively successful. It almost works more like an old school James Bond movie, but still I just was like, where is the action? Right. It's it's interesting you bring up James Bond because Wonder Woman is less superpowered superhero and more of a martial arts James Bond super spy. And this kind of comes on the heels of how Wonder Woman was portrayed in this period of time in the 70s. There was a change in her character, which actually upset Gloria Steinem. She was real pissed off that they decided to depower the female superhero. Um, She actually went so far as to put the powered Wonder Woman in the suit that we all recognize on the 1972 cover of the first Ms. Magazine. And I love this. She made a call with Dick Gordiano, the editor-in-chief of DC Comics at the time, and he said to her, okay, she's got her magic lasso back to make the people tell the truth. She's got her bracelets back to repel bullets. She's got Paradise Island back as her origin story and a black Amazon sister named Nubia. Now will you leave me alone? (laughs) (laughs) I hope the response was no. (laughs) (laughs) It was shifting back to her being the Wonder Woman we all know and love. And that's kind of when it was offered to Linda Carter. Interesting that how that turned out, you know, we might not have had a Linda Carter Wonder Woman if this movie or this pilot had been more successful. I thought the costume was really interesting. In the comic, she she had basically this same outfit, but it was all white. But this has kind of the Americana red and blue and the stars. So it looks a little more like Wonder Woman, but it's very like athletic and sporty, which kind of makes sense for if you know Kathy Lee being a tennis star. And Am I crazy? Uh, yes, you are. And also, <laughs> I think you... <laughs> uh, but also, I think that I know the real reason you like this movie. Two words. Ricardo Montalban. <laughs> I mean, I do, but but here's another way that it's very weird. I love, love Ricardo Montalban, but he's like kept in shadow and like you never see his face for almost three quarters of this whole production. He only Just kinda... like her costume, he <laughs> doesn't show up until the last 25% of the movie. <laughs> and it's baffling because he has one of the most recognizable voices. You instantly know. It's Ricardo Montalban. And so them trying to be like, who could this amazing guest star be? Who's the (laughs) villain? Who's behind it? You know, it's Ricardo Montalban. Smiles, everyone. Smiles. All right. Two last things real quick. We always talk about when this aired. You mentioned at the top, 1974. It was March 12th, 1974, specifically. 
And it's really hard to go back that far and actually get really detailed information about ratings. All I can find is an executive at ABC who said the ratings were, quote, respectable, but not exactly wondrous. Mm. <laughs> uh, there's a good review of it at 13th Dimension. And they also are not thrilled by, or I would say wowed by this version of Wonder Woman. But they did say something that I will agree with, which is, um, Kathy Lee Crosby's Wonder Woman. It's she is never anything but completely confident in herself and her ability to finish her mission. You get the sense she's pretty much just humoring all the men getting in her way, willing to lead them on in one way or the other to get what she needs. And I'd agree with that. I can at least give it that, that there's like a level of confidence that pushes the character forward. aptly named Spider-Man is a September 1977 90-minute TV movie, you know, after you take out all the commercials, where we are introduced to the Spider-Man character. And uh, what I love about the Spider-Man TV movie, in the same way that this Wonder Woman TV movie we just talked about was kind of meant to seed uh, a TV show or, t or seed a franchise, this Spider-Man TV movie from 1977 actually did surface a franchise that aired on CBS. So this is kind of like one of those things where it's a TV movie. It is definitely a TV movie. And in Europe, it was actually a movie movie. They released it in the box office and it made $9 million. But it was really intended to kind of kickstart a series. And really, this is just the origin story of Spider-Man. You meet Peter Parker, who he feels a little bit old for Peter Parker to me, but he works, uh, and how he becomes Spider-Man. That's kind of a summary. Is there anything I'm really leaving out? No, I think you covered it. The only thing you left out is who Peter Parker Spider-Man is. Yes, it is played by Nicholas Hammond. And I believe high on a hill, there was a lonely goat herd <laughs> that Nicholas Hammond once interacted with because he is a Von Trapp kid from the original Sound of Music. Yes, Friedrich Von Trapp. <laughs> <laughs> but I think Nicholas Hammond was great. I mean, he's a little bit older. Yeah. We're used to Spider-Men being like teenage kids. Yes. And he could not, I mean, he looks older than I am today and I'm a mid 40s year old <laughs> man. <laughs> so it's, but I, that goes to the thing we've talked about in this podcast a bunch, which is like what passed for 20 in the seventies is like oh, it's 65 today. Su <laughs> because, super typical. Like everybody looks so much older back then. Yeah. And it might be the way they dress him in his hair and all that. But like you, he, the first time you see him, it's like, are, are, is this a 35 year old Spider-Man? <laughs> like what is going on here? Um, but but he's good. I'll say this. I enjoyed this much more than Wonder Woman, but I am curious. Did you like it? Oh, I loved it. I think, you know, if you had asked me that question, who is your favorite superhero growing up, it would have been Spider-Man. And because of this 70s show. Oh, did you see this 70s, this TV movie when it, well, you would have only been like two years old when this first came out. But it was on reruns and definitely like VHS tapes I had. And I had like the little Mego Spider-Man dolls. And I remember it vividly. And I love loved loved the 70s spider-man it was so cool i love spider-man so much as a kid that the spider-man costume like it's not like nowadays with cosplaying and people making it or whatever i don't know where this came from or if it was a tv suit but like my parents rented for a costume party that they were going to a spider-man costume and it was so accurate we have a picture right for you or for your parents no, to wear? for my parents. They were going to some adult costume party and they went to a costume shop and rented this Spider-Man outfit that looked 
identical to what Nicholas Hammond wears, pretty much. My parents were like, hey, we're going to have a special visitor come today. And Spider-Man walked through the front door in that TV costume. And I was like, jaw hit the floor. I, my mom was like, he can't talk because he has like <laughs> laryngitis or something. Because I would know it was my dad in the suit. My dad put it on that day. And so she would, I would ask her questions and he would nod or tell, tell my mom. And then I was like, wait a minute, this is my dad in the suit. My mom's like, no, no, he's just taking a nap. He's taking a nap in the bedroom. And I ran up to the bedroom and my dad was laying in bed. And I'm like, oh my gosh, it really was Spider-Man. <laughs> Come to find out years later, my dad was like real life Spider-Man. He crawled out the second story window <laughs> of their bedroom in the Spider-Man suit, went down and climbed back up just to like trick me and fool me that Spider-Man visited. Like I can only imagine the neighbors seeing a dude in a Spider-Man outfit crawling out of a second floor window of my house. My favorite part of your entire story there is that you were too young. You fell for the, well, Spider-Man has laryngitis. Yeah. So he won't be able to speak today. Well, you know, as, as I'm sure I was like kindergarten or, or yeah, about exactly. that age. That's like, you'll believe anything if freaking Spider-Man is visiting your house. Yeah. <laughs> The special effects, I do want to talk about just for a second, though, because it watching them now, obviously, anybody watching this now is going to be like, oh, my gosh, this is so corny. But I have to imagine that in 1977, the feat of actually getting a, like, mm -hmm. you know, someone to scale and climb up a building or jump from a building to a skyscraper was actually quite like a production. And I'm just curious. I, I actually don't know. But I'm so curious if people really thought the special effects worked back then or if they found them cheesy. But I have to imagine it was like revolutionary in the 70s. Oh, definitely. I think there was like a bit of both, right? Looking at it. I mean, there's no CGI here, right? This is no. so pre-CGI, no. totally. But the stuntman, his name is Fred Waugh, W-A-U-G-H, who does the stunts. I mean, the ones where Spidey is literally crawling up the Empire State Building with like an invisible line. If that snapped, that dude was dead. He actually, in one scene, like swings between buildings. And, and they have said they it took like two days to set up that stunt of him just swinging across because it was so dangerous. So there are parts of this that are like, man, I just love practical stunts. And I miss them so much because when I'm watching movies now with superheroes, it kind of takes the stakes away. Like you, you know, nobody's in danger. It's all just almost animated really now, but this feels like a real flesh and blood Spider-Man. Yeah. So even if they might seem a little cheesy to me, it's more real. And I, I just love it more. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that the downfall of the 77 pilot and the series, people have said they did not have the rights to all of the like the fantastical villains like the Green Goblin and Scorpion and Doc Ock and everything. He's just chasing down, you know, your regular 70s baddies, the guys that rob yeah, banks exactly. that are in like yeah. tan tweed suits. That's that's who totally he's chasing. It's like the subway graffiti artist. He's like, oh, got to go get them. <laughs> All right, so I got two last things I wanted to say here. But the first thing was, and I, I'm guessing you know this, Eric, but Stan Lee, the creator of all of the Spider-Man universe, 
truly hated this TV movie and then the series that followed it. Did you know that? I did. And I suspect that Stan Lee loved this when it came out. And there's a bit of like hindsight looking at it. Monday morning quarterbacking. Yeah. And and feeling that because the fans are like, oh, that's so old and janky. He has to say that too. But at the time, this elevated Spider-Man to like merchandising levels. And, you know, like it was huge because of this show. Yes, there was Spider-Man animated things and merch before that. But this really kicked Spider-Man's career and like presence and pop culture into high gear. What I do think that he really wanted out of it was that it looked more like the comic books. It looked like he was fighting those superhero baddies. And because it was almost just like any other 70s drama cop show at the time, that's what he didn't like. Well, yeah, I mean, he actually is on record saying that on a technical level, he thought they did a really good job, which, you know, you just spoke to. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really right for the late 70s. Pretty brilliant. What he thought was missing was the humor and the human interest and the personality Mm -hmm. that makes Spider-Man and sort of the universe around Spider-Man so interesting to audiences today. And I largely do agree with that. The characters, I do think Nicholas Hammond is a wonderful Peter Parker, but he's flat. You don't get a lot of personality, at least in this TV movie. In subsequent episodes of the series, when it gets there, I think you get a little more of that. But it does feel a little like one note, like it's a and it's enjoyable because it's familiar and we kind of like seeing the special effects. But I don't think there's a ton of personality that just oozes off the screen here. All right. And of course, the last thing we'll talk about is when this aired, how it did. So it officially broadcast this Spider-Man TV movie on Wednesday, September 14th, 1977. Eric, do you think it was a hit or not? Well, I'm going to say yes, since it got greenlit into series. You're largely right. I wouldn't say we're talking blockbuster here, but it did well enough to finish 30th in the weekly ratings. Hmm. It was CBS's highest TV movie production that year. So, you know, and TV movies were a big thing back then. So that really works. But it did not win its night or its time slot. It lost, actually, to the top ranked broadcast program that week. One of your favorites. Charlie's Angels. (laughs) So Wednesday, lost to Charlie's Angels. I'm going to guess you will know exactly the episode. Once I say the title, you'll be able to be like, oh, yeah, that's a great episode. No wonder it won. Oh, was it Angels in Chains? No, it was Angels in Paradise. Oh, well, of course. They were introducing Chris Monroe, Cheryl Ladd, replacing Farah. Everybody was tuning in for that. There you go. (laughs) (laughs) No superhero stands a chance against that. Okay, it's time for Hulk smash. I'm sorry, Mike. It's not Hulk Hogan. Hulkamania. No, no. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're talking about the dynamic duo of Bill Bixby and Lou Ferrigno. Do you remember watching the Hulk TV series growing up? No, my first introduction to the Hulk was this TV movie, believe it or not. We recorded it on VHS and I watched the absolute shit out of this TV movie. <laughs> Probably from like the, the day it aired, May 22nd, 1988, through at least the mid-90s, I wouldn't be surprised if I, I under I conservatively watched this at least once or twice a year. Wow. Okay. Well, we're talking about the TV movie, The Incredible Hulk Returns, 
David Banner, who's spent his life wandering and trying to not get caught by the authorities because his alter ego is the Incredible Hulk. He is now uh, working on this gamma radiation cure so he can not be the Hulk. He feels like he's gotten pretty close, but there's a guy who recognizes him, Donald Blake, another scientist, and he reveals that on some expedition in Norway, he had found a magical hammer containing the soul of Thor. And when he speaks Odin's name, he summons him. So this is a bit of a backdoor pilot for a Thor TV series that never materialized. So this TV movie, we get both the Incredible Hulk and Thor fighting the big bad guys. First time Thor actually makes a broadcast appearance. You never forget your first Thor. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, wait, was Adventures in Babysitting before this or after? Oh, Adventures in Babysitting would have been before, but I guess that's a loose... It's not really Thor. Thor. (laughs) The literal thinks he's Thor, but he's like a mechanic or whatever, right? There's actually a lot of people who debate this. Some think the first appearance was Adventures in Babysitting, and some people think it's this. And it's really frustrating when you get those two groups in a room. It's just such a Thor subject. Oh, geez. (laughs) (laughs) See, I'm surprised your dad didn't dress up as Thor and said, oh, I have a Thor throat. Oh, Jesus. Did you like this TV movie, Um, though? Do you like the Incredible Hulk as a character? I'm more like the Credible Hulk. (laughs) (laughs) I'll go on Wikipedia and I'll look up some facts. I'll I'll check them over and make some comments. (laughs) And with my posture, I'm more like the Incredible Sulk. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I watched the Hulk growing up as a kid, like I did Spider-Man and Wonder Woman. Um, I, I loved that. Watching it now, it's it's just the pacing is different. It's a little slower. Out of the three that we're talking about today, I think this one for me was the worst. It was unearned on the pathos of the TV show that Bill Bixby really played that loner on the run just from town to town. And this tries and attempts that and then smashes Thor in there. And it just looks like it's, you know, it's got that 90s kind of made for TV straight to video kind of feel i just didn't buy it i just didn't love it in the way that i like the other two i think that's because you're watching it now as a middle-aged man and back in 1988 you probably loved this if you oh, watched it oh i think i did i remember the trial of incredible Hulk, yes one of the later tv movies a lot I, I remember these and i think re-watching it i was surprised i didn't like it as much because i was ready. I was excited to watch this one. I really love this one. I mean, again, I remember watching just this every single year, several times a year. And what I loved most about it is sort of, I don't know, it maybe is the first time in my life where I got to see two sort of superheroes pair up and become somewhat friends with Mm. each other, even though for part of the movie, they're like enemies, right? They hate each other. They're cranky with each other. But in order to like get the job done, they actually have to figure out how to work together. And I kind of enjoyed that. I thought that was sort of like something I really loved. And and it just, I don't know, it it almost feels in some ways like, uh, uh, I mean, this is maybe a bad comparison, but, you know, much like 48 Hours or Lethal Weapon Mm -hmm. were like buddy cop movies. This has the this has the appeal to me of a buddy superhero movie. For sure, for sure. The special effects, it's definitely we're moving into the 90s and they were able to do a little more effects on it. So that kind of brings it into a modern era. And and some practical effects. Ferrigno is extra built. 
He is so much more muscular in this TV movie than he was in the TV series. And he was big in the TV series. Again, the things that you had to do when there wasn't CGI, man, Ferrigno is jacked. I mean, (laughs) he had to put on those muscles. Like he, you, I believe him as the Hulk because he's giant. He is not like CGI'd up now where, of course, like actors who are doing superhero movies now get fit and everything. But man, they had to work it. They had to work it. (laughs) Well, I'm so glad you're bringing up how jacked he is because I now want to make you listen to, and maybe you've heard it already, or maybe you've seen it, but same year this came out, 1988, Lou Ferrigno, as the Incredible Hulk, was cast in commercials for Sears. What? This is Lou Ferrigno in a a Sears commercial in 1988 for a new set of pants they have called Flex Slacks. Of course, this makes so much sense. Yes. Here we go. Sears Flex Slacks make you look great. No matter who you are, they flex, they bend, the fit's incredible. (laughs) (laughs) One of the great mysteries of life is how he hulks out and his pants are always just ripped into shorts. See, if only he had Sears's Flex Slacks pants in, in <laughs> this TV movie. What a great name. What a great name. Flex Slacks. That's going to be my Twitter handle from now on. The Hulk's Flex Slacks. <laughs> Side note, they needed to hide Lou Ferrigno's hearing aid, so they gave the Incredible Hulk a big wig. I wanted to talk about that. That extra busted wig. Hulk really needed a moisturizing conditioner. It looks like straw. It is is worse. I mean, some of the wigs in the TV show were bad, but this one's real bad. And now uh, I feel better knowing that there was a reason behind it. Yes. And this is not an insult to Tina Turner, but it is like Tina Turner level hair from that era. Oh, yeah. Yeah, definitely. So let's talk about ratings. So this aired on May 22nd, 1988. Peak May sweeps stuff. I thought Hulk smashed, not sweeps. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, do you think he smashed it in the ratings or do you oh, think he, I'm sure this he was did. swept under the rug? No, I think he smashed because um, this got two, two or three more TV movies. It was the number one TV movie, TV show, TV program of the entire week it aired. It aired opposite two other TV movies, uh, and it just blew them out of the water. We're talking about TV movies today, but you can't talk about these three without talking about the series that really made them popular. It's interesting that Wonder Woman, Incredible Hulk, and Spider-Man, their shows were all on at the same time in the 70s, and they were all on the same network. They were on CBS, except... Spider-Man actually was doing well in the ratings, but it got the axe along with Wonder Woman because CBS didn't want to be known as the superhero superhero network, network. but they kept the Hulk. The Hulk kept going. Wonder Woman um, jumped networks to ABC. Spider-Man just didn't return. I know there are superheroes we haven't explicitly talked about. They were kind of few and far between. If you love this stuff, it was on a TV special or on once a week. You know, like it wasn't, there was always a superhero on Disney Plus or a movie in the theaters. Like there's just a constant stream of it. And that's great. What a time to be alive. If, If that's what you love, 
I feel in some ways it kind of diminishes the specialness when it's always there and always available. It was more of an event, right? Yeah, I agree with that. It felt special. And a lot of times these shows or TV movies didn't make their way to VHS even. So if you missed it on the night that it was aired, you didn't see these TV movies. Oh, you totally. did, definitely didn't even see TV shows were not like put on video cassette or anything like well, that. Well, even like the two we talked about today, the Wonder Woman and Spider-Man, those didn't show up on you know DVD or, or for, for decades after they aired. So if you missed them in the 70s, you just didn't watch them. Yeah. And so I guess that is the, the flip side. It is great to revisit these 70s superheroes because I just ordered for less than 10 bucks this Wonder Woman special from Warner Archive that hadn't been seen almost since the 70s, which is pretty amazing. Well, we've come to the end of this episode. Thanks for listening to our thoughts on truth, justice, and the pop trash way. We would love to hear from you. If you like this episode or just want some other pop trash goodness, head on over to poptrashmuseum.com and drop us a line. And a review or a like on Apple Podcasts doesn't hurt either. You can also dig up more pop culture nostalgia on that garbage heap we call social media. We're on TikTok, Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And we've got two more episodes coming this season. So, you know, as Batman would say, stay tuned to the same podcast channel. But, you know, maybe not the same podcast time. (laughs) Well, until then, when you fly into a Hulk smash rage, make sure you're wearing your Sears Flex Slacks. (laughs) Talk about the softer side of Sears. (laughs) 